Today, we're in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, as we continue our exposition of that book and working our way through it verse by verse. Uh, I'm going to pick up our reading in verse 9 today. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a chance to be together in this day. Thank you that you're a God who has spoken, that you've made what you've said available to us. In the time that we have together, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, that we would understand more fully what you've said, why you've said it, that you would plant it within us, you would help us to see what Change needs to take place in our thinking or in our attitudes or in our actions and then enable us through that same indwelling Holy Spirit to find the strength to step out in obedience. Give us alertness, I pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you remember from the middle, about the middle of the second chapter, starting in verse 11, on through what we looked at yesterday, or I'm sorry, last week, verse 8, uh, the focus has been on what it means to live like a sojourner exile in the midst of this fallen world, or like a pilgrim in the classic old uh, King James Version, or uh, ex, or even alien, which is the, some of the other translations. They're all trying to get at this concept of people who are living in an area but are not from that area, people who are living in an area but that's not their true homeland anymore. Uh, and whatever combination of words help to draw that together for us, we understand as believers, whatever, wherever we may have come from, and even wherever we may be living at the current moment, we really have a different commonwealth, a different citizenship. And we are all, therefore, in a very real sense, uh, aliens, sojourners, exiles, wherever God has placed us. Uh, and we talked about some cult countercultural pictures of what lifestyle is supposed to be like for sojourner exiles. In fact, we looked at eight of them following through the end of the second chapter into the third chapter. Last week, in looking at verse 8, we were looking at the eighth of them, which was the, the marks of a countercultural church. How God, doesn't, God wants the church to be very different from human organizations, and the realities of the church to be very different from human organizations. Uh, all of these things flesh out for us Romans 12:2 and what it means not to be conformed to the world and the culture in which we find ourselves. Now today, the verses I read to you starting in verse 9, uh, it's not that they're unrelated to this issue of living as a sojourner, exile, pilgrim in the midst of this fallen world, but they're focused in a different way in a sense. They're, they're, they begin to be verses that talk to us about our spiritual life, our personal spiritual growth, what, what it means, some things linked to being a disciple. Uh, not that that's, again, unrelated to living in the fallen world, of course, as sojourner exiles are supposed to be 
disciples who are also sojourner exiles. But nonetheless, there's enough of a difference. I think it's a good place to make a break here and to begin to examine. And what we see in verses 9 to 11 that I read to you today, actually 9 through 12, we see, first of all, four commands emerging that talk to us about what it means to live as a disciple in the midst of this fallen world, this place that God has sovereignly placed us. And then he ends by talking about some wonderful promises to those who obey those commands and also a warning about those who don't. So let's look at them together. The the first of the commands, he says, Now do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. The first of the commands as a disciple living here as a sojourner exile is that God says, I don't want you retaliating in the face of wrongdoing, in the face of wrong done to you. Don't retaliate. That's not how I want you to be. Very practical command because you can't live in a fallen world without being wronged. I don't know, does anybody hasn't had that experience? I should probably show of hands here. Uh, all of us have been wronged, uh, hurt. And context here, he's moving out of discussing some issues about the countercultural church and what he wants to be true for it. The implication being, sadly, at times, the local church is no exception to this rule. And I won't ask for a show of hands on that either, but has anybody ever been wronged in the context of a local body? Of course, uh, Yes, we all know what it means to be hurt by and disappointed in brothers and sisters in Christ. And sadly, perhaps even more sadly, there's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ who know what it means to have been hurt by and disappointed by me. You know, so it kind of works both ways at times as we understand we're works in progress and we don't, we're not always all the places that God wants us to be. Uh, no church exists with perfect people in it which means we have a laboratory in which these things can be fleshed out and realized. Now, as I say, the world's normal response to being wronged is to respond in kind, evil for evil, insult for insult, eye for eye, and so forth. That's, that's just ingrained in the way people think. In fact, retaliation and vengeance is the world's way. It's very evident if you see how the scriptures begin Uh, But let's say from Genesis 4 to 6, in that period of time with the first family on up through the flood beginning, uh, what characterized those eras is not just godlessness, so that there were very few who were seeking after the Lord, but what also characterized those times was vengeance, retaliation, not just with Cain, but following Cain in those generations, so that by the time you got to the point of the flood, the description of humanity that God was giving us is that everywhere the world was filled with violence, hatred, vengeance. Uh, that's the reality. That is how the world operates. Uh, and either we've been living self-deceived and Pollyanna sort of experiences, or we've understood that's the world we live in. You know, that's that sort of thing. And God says, listen, that's the world you live in, that's the nature of the world, but I'm calling for church relationships to be characterized by something different from that. Uh, And especially you as a believer, I want you to respond to being wronged with blessing, not retaliation. And, by the way, that sort of command, as would be true of all commands in the scripture, 
we hear the command and we say, well, nothing less than supernatural enablement is going to make this possible. And God says, well, yeah, exactly. Duh. You know, that, that's the reason you're supposed to be filled with my spirit, because you don't have the resource in yourself. Even though you might have the willingness, you don't have the resource. That's why you need strengthened in a way you're not strengthened apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how we respond to wrongs is part of the witness of the believer in this world. And he says specifically here, I want you to bless rather than retaliate against the individuals who've hurt you. The word bless translates a Greek word, which means to speak well about, to speak well of, to speak in such a way that the things that you say benefit or build up an individual. That's the word bless means. Sometimes we use that word bless in sort of a vague connotation sort of way, like it's a religious word that we know should mean something, but we're satisfied with the fact it just has a connotation to it or denotation to it. Uh, but there's a specific word. That's, that's the type of way we're supposed to be speaking, uh, to speak well about, to build up. Ephesians 4.29 picks up on that theme. It says, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's, that's what blessed means, speaking in that particular fashion. Uh, I'm not saying that there aren't some times in the scripture where the word bless represents a very formal activity. Think about the patriarchs whose blessing also carried with it a prophetic dimension. Uh, but that's not what's being talked about here. It's not like God is saying, I want you to be prophetic in your interaction with the people who've wronged you. Uh, he's saying, I want you to speak back to them in a particular way, a way that imparts grace to them. Give grace to the people who've hurt you with their words. Break the cycle of retaliation. Have a redemptive rather than retaliatory kind of response to the people. Uh, that's what God's calling for us to do. Uh, that, once again, drives us to our knees. <laughs> How's that possible? Uh, apart from God doing something and enabling us. Essentially, God is saying, as you're reflecting on this situation in which you've been wronged by what somebody has done or said, I want you to think about it in a way where you ask yourself, what can I say and what can I do that can move it in a healing direction? Now, it may not move in that direction, but it ought not to be because you didn't respond to it properly. It ought to be because even if you respond to it properly, people can be rebels and reject and refuse to do the thing they need to do. There's no way we ultimately can manipulate people, uh, but we can do things that make it more likely that certain things will happen. And God says, listen, I want you to think that way. I want you to approach people that way. Uh, and he, then he makes a comment, an interesting one here, and he says, now if you do this, if you bless those who've dealt with you in this way, uh, you will obtain a blessing. Uh, I've seen lots of crazy things said, by the way, about that verse. So I, I'm hoping I can uh, uh, correct a few of the crazy things that people have said. One of the first things I want to talk to you about with that verse and that thing of if you bless these people who have wronged you in this way, you will obtain a blessing, is that there's an important grammar shift that's occurred here. The first bless is a verb, something having to do with what you're doing, how you're saying. You follow? The second blessing is a noun. It's not a verb. It, it, let's put it this way. What in the second part of the verse is being talked about is a state of being, not an action you take. 
You follow that distinction? Important one here. Not just for those that are into grammar, but it's important one to understand this verse. He says, listen, as you do bless, impart grace by the things you say, uh, you sort of defuse the retaliation thing. As, as you're doing that, you will obtain a blessing. This word blessing as a noun, this first thing, as I say, we need to understand. Secondly, we need to understand that this state of blessing is not referring to a state of happiness and good fortune. This is not some sort of prosperity doctrine here where, you know, you do this and, you know, give me this and you'll give you this much more. That's not what it's saying. By the way, the idea of, of a state of happiness and good fortune is the Greek word makarios, which is not the word used here. Uh, no, the word that's described here is describing a contented, affirmed position. Uh, knowing that we're right and affirmed by a Heavenly Father. This is not having to do with what people do to us. It has to do with our sense of the state of being of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's not promising here that if we use grace words, people will respond to us with grace words, although I think we increase the likelihood of that happening if we do that. But it's not a promise of that happening, which all of us, if we've used grace words in certain situations, can attest didn't always get grace words in return here. That doesn't always work this way. Uh, yeah, But this will always work if we do the verb that's being talked about here, we will always obtain that state of blessing, state of being blessed from God. We will obtain it. The word obtain means to inherit. In fact, the King James Version uses that uh, way to describe it. We will inherit a blessing. Uh, it means to acquire. We will obtain that inner sense, that state of being, of feeling affirmed and pleasing to the Heavenly Father, uh, knowing in our hearts God says that will be what happens. He makes no promise of how the interpersonal relationship works out. He makes no promise about how that's going to happen. But he does say, independent of what happens, you still obtain the blessing. You still have that sense before the Lord that, yeah, that was right. God's affirming it. <laughs> I'm pleasing to the Lord. Which, by the way, is the main thing we're after anyway, isn't it? Isn't it isn't a call in our life to... As Ephesians uh, 5 puts it, to, uh, to find out what pleases the Lord, to live our lives to please Him. God says, I'll let you know you please me. I'm going I'm to flood it on you so that your state of being is one where you know you're pleasing me. Which, by the way, would be very important if the life circumstances around us keep crashing around our feet. Which it very likely could. At least then we know, well, we're pleasing the Lord. At least I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I also think that's very important because there's all kinds of false teaching out there that says, well, the way you know you're pleasing the Lord is because he goes ahead of you and makes everything work out in your life. You know, uh, There is one who goes ahead of you to make everything work out in your life, and it's the enemy generally, because he wants to perpetuate you in a pattern of life that uh, is displeasing to God, and so he'll make things work out for you because he can cause those things to happen. Uh, well, not always his instigation, but nonetheless, God says this will happen. The countercultural response to bless 
will produce over time the wonderful outcome of blessing, of condition. If I do the action, there will be this condition. Sometimes that condition will also include peace with people because we broke the cycle of retaliation. But not always. There's no promise of that. Uh, To bless produces the outcome of blessing. And speaking of to bless, because again, that's the verb, he builds on that and he says, for whoever would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the second command naturally follows. He says, listen, keep your tongues under control. And quite frankly, in the midst of a fallen world where we've been wronged, especially in what people are saying, keeping your tongue under control is no easy task, is it? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I always think when I when I read that of James three, you know, that uh, you know this this restless evil of the tongue and the flame, and we have this it's a big problem. Keep this thing under control. Uh, well, we can't keep it under control except in obedience and enablement from the Holy Spirit, and therefore when it goes out of control, it indicates what's not true of us, which is not what is happening to us. It's what we're doing in response to it. Well, anyway, verses 10 to 12 that I read to you, and if we follow through, we won't get through all of it today, no surprise, because it's late, but the verses 10 to 12 are all a quote from Psalm 34, uh, verses 4, 12 to 16 in Psalm 34. And he, has, he says, listen, how can we experience good days, I like the way the ESV deals, deals with the Hebrew here, uh, how can we experience good days in which we find ourselves loving life. By the way, that isn't saying I, I love to be alive rather than dead. That's, that's not what that means. It means I love what life is. Uh, a great question. A lot of people hate their lives. I hate my life. I hate everything that's going on in it. I hate my life. And God says, listen, uh, it's possible for you to have good days... And it's possible for you to love life even if you're in a place where people are not dealing with you right. When you are the recipient of things that would normally call for retaliation. God says it's possible to love life, to have good days. And the link to that is what you do with your tongue in the face of it. He says there's two sins of the tongue that let you know you didn't keep it under control. He says, first of all, there is the keep your tongue from evil, and secondly, keep your lips from speaking deceit. Uh, evil, kakos in the Greek, refers to the idea of speaking in a way driven by inner malice towards someone. And I like that definition because that can show up in lots of ways. I mean, people can say things that seemingly are sweet but are really malicious in the way they say it. So I think getting at the, the, the linguists understand the idea is malice inside. What, what really is driving the things that you're saying? Uh, replying in ways that not only hurt other people but ultimately corrupt other people. One of the linguists said this, if you want to get a grasp of, of kakos here, that's, that's what it's saying. Because both can be true. You know, you can say things that hurt, 
And then you can also say things that maybe at first don't seem to hurt, but they corrupt the other person. And you say, well, am I capable of that as a redeemed child of God? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the reason it's being spoken about here. Well, we can do that. Uh, we, don't, we need grace that we don't, but we can do that sort of thing. So he says, listen, if you're, if, if you're going to keep your tongue under control, you've got you to gotta determine that you're, gonna, you're not going to be speaking kakos, the, the evil and then he says, you're also going to keep your lips from speaking deceit. Deceitful speech translates a single Greek word, dolos, which, which means to speak in a calculated way. Uh, I like that, that sort of description of it. Uh, to speak in a way that what you say sort of baits the trap. You ever encounter people doing that? Uh, using guile in a way to speak in such a way that you trick people by the things that you're saying. Uh, back in the first chapter, we encountered this same word, doulos, and it was in, in response to Jesus. Listen in first, I'm sorry, in the second chapter. In second, first Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit, doulos, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Oh, you mean Jesus is supposed to be our example in all of this? Uh, yeah, 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 right. That, that's the point. Uh, he's saying, if we're following the Lord, this is the way that we do it. This is how he did it. So, what's the implication? Well, this. Make sure, as you respond in the face of these provocations, that you don't twist the truth. You don't speak in such a way that you leave a false impression or has become almost a, a description of our modern era. Don't spin doctor in the way that you speak. Every example of spin doctoring is an example of dolas. And Bible says it's sin to do that. Don't twist it. I suggest to you that we would stand out like lights in the darkness if in point of fact both these first two commands were true of us as believers. Because it's not true of the world except in rare occasions. That's not how the world operates and remember, we're not to be conformed to the world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God says, set this as a good goal for yourself. You know, you know bless. Uh, don't retaliate in the face of a wrong done to you. You know, bless. Uh, and make sure as you're trying to bless, that you don't let the blessing turn into an evil deceit. Uh, avoid it. And with God's enablement, speak in a way that does just the opposite, standing out as lights in the darkness. Well, much more to say on this passage, but it won't surprise many of you. Uh, we're not going to get through it all. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll continue to unfold, look at some more of these, uh, of these commands, and, the, and then also the promises that are made at the other end. You look at that and you say, well, Lord... You mean this, this is what being a disciple is all about? And God's response to that is, well, it isn't what it's all about, but it includes this.
and you say, oh, <laughs> oh. Well, it's good for us at times before the Lord to say, oh, that's what it is. So then I can count a cost then. I can say, you know, is that, is that what I want to do? Is that where I'm going to be? Am I, am I going to let this be yet another reason why every single day I need to be on my knees and say, Lord, this day I commit to you, I surrender afresh to your Holy Spirit's enablement because I'm not going to get anywhere into this day or very far into this day without discovering I don't have the resources to do what I'm committing myself to do. We need reminded of our frailty and inadequacy. And what greater, better way to have that happen than to be consistently in God's Word? Because that not only diagnoses all of that frailty, but it offers solutions. And isn't it wonderful that God's word has both? It's not just telling us what not to do. It's telling us what to do, and it's also telling us how to do it. I'm glad God has the whole equation out in front of us, aren't you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a chance to be in your word this day. A more abbreviated time than normal, but... That's in your plan as well, I believe. So we thank you for this. We thank you for these passages that we are in here in First Peter. And we thank you for these clear reminders to us that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. But we can do all things in him who strengthens us. Oh, may this day and this week be a day where each of us deepens in our understanding of what it means to be strengthened. In Him. And we'll thank you for that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.